Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're starting with our book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. We're going to be starting with chapter one of this book and going all the way through to the end, which is a total of about 24 chapters and then some additional content at the end. So it's going to take us about six months of every Sunday having a talk where we go through this book. And students from all over the world are invited to participate in this program where you can either download this book for free or if you'd like a printed copy, you can take that PDF and go print it or you can order this off of Amazon. And you can be reading the chapters either before class, after class, or before and after class. And what I'm here to do is walk you through learning these teachings step by step as you progress in learning this path to enlightenment that was taught by Gautama Buddha over 2,500 years ago. This path that he laid out for us is a way for you to learn teachings, practice those, and train the mind to eliminate any discontent feelings, where you eliminate sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, boredom, guilt, shame, fear, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, all these discontent feelings can be eliminated through learning teachings, reflecting on those, and then practicing them. And nothing in this practice, nothing in this entire path is based on belief. You can actually learn and practice these teachings so that you can independently discover the truth for yourself. Because as you discover more and more truth, you will acquire wisdom. And this wisdom will help you to see true reality. It will help you to awaken the mind to true reality where the mind will become unshakable. Because once you see the truth, you will no longer believe something else. And oftentimes an example that I use for this is if you grew up in a culture where you were taught that Santa Claus existed, then you went for a period of time of believing that Santa Claus existed. And you might have thought that about Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy or any number of things that are sometimes taught to children to believe. Well, at some point in your life, you learned the truth. You discovered that Santa Claus doesn't exist or the Tooth Fairy doesn't exist. And you gained wisdom. And when you gain that wisdom, right now, today, if anybody tried to convince you that Santa Claus exists or the Tooth Fairy exists, they would be unable to shake you off of that truth because you know the truth. 
doesn't matter how many Santa Clauses you see in the mall. It doesn't matter how many Christmas carols you hear at Christmas time. It doesn't matter how many reindeer you might see out and about if people put horns and make people think that there's reindeer. You would know the truth because you've already discovered the truth on this topic of Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. And now your mind is unshakable on that topic. Well, these natural laws of existence that Gautama Buddha taught, his teachings are the truth and you can discover that for yourself by learning them, reflecting on them, and then independently discovering the truth through your practice where you gain more and more wisdom. And as you see the condition of the mind gradually improve, where it goes from anger to frustration to maybe irritation or annoyance, and eventually something happens where it's the same thing that's been happening all throughout your life, but in the past where that would cause anger, frustration, or irritation, it just doesn't bother you. And the mind can reside peaceful even though the same exact situation occurred that would normally shake up your mind you can see that the mind is becoming more and more liberated because it's no longer experiencing these strong feelings and these reactions in certain situations. And you'll see more and more and more of the truth as you dive into these teachings and you practice them, gaining more and more wisdom along this path. So if this is your first time joining us and you're joining here with the first chapter, I'd like to welcome you. If you've been participating in a couple of classes recently or you've been learning over the last several months or even up to a year now, I've been teaching online at this point, I'd like to welcome all of you because this is the very beginning of us walking through this book chapter by chapter where each Sunday I'll be doing some type of talk, pausing at different times during the talk to allow there to be questions and clarification. And then either before the class or after, you can read the chapter and get more details. You can ask questions in class. You can ask questions in the Facebook group. You can private message. You can send a, a request for a appointment where we can meet privately and meet. Because my goal is to help you walk through these teachings in a way that you can learn them in a very tangible way, implement them into your life, and actually start practicing the teachings. Because through your practice, you will see the truth for yourself. And I have no doubt that as you learn and as you progress in these teachings, the condition of your mind will improve as well as the condition of your life. And this is where these kind of pursuits can be so beneficial and so enjoyable because we oftentimes struggle through life not really understanding why am I so sad now? Or why am I so lonely? Or why am I frustrated? Or why do all these things keep happening to me in my life that I just don't understand? Well, Gautama Buddha's teachings are going to help you learn these natural laws of existence so that you can independently discover the truth. And then life won't be such a mystery to you. When your mind is angry or frustrated or irritated, you'll know why. You'll know what's causing it and you'll know how to eliminate it, and you'll know how to eliminate it permanently through his teachings. When certain things are happening to you in your life with maybe certain friends or family or so forth, you will understand why based on Gautama Buddha's teachings. 
or even something like COVID-19 that is now pervasive throughout the world for the last year, you can find the answers of why this occurred in Gautama Buddha's teachings. There's no punishment and rewards here in his teachings. There's no belief in his teachings. It's just helping you to understand the truth all based around this cause and effect or this action and resolve because whatever we put out into the world is what we're going to experience. So as we start to pull back the covers to Gautama Buddha's teachings chapter by chapter on each Sunday, you will start to gain more and more wisdom where you can go out and learn and practice more and you can see the truth and this wisdom will gradually awaken the mind where you will start noticing a change in the condition of the mind. But you have to do your part. You have to do your work. You have to apply effort. I can show up to classes and I can offer all these resources, but you're the one that has to really roll up the sleeves and apply effort and energy to be able to actively learn and then actively practice the teachings and see that they actually work. And as you do so, then you'll experience the benefits of a more peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. So that's what we're going to be doing on each Sunday right here in our Facebook group and our YouTube channel and this Zoom virtual classroom on our podcast and all the other places where we distribute content. Each Sunday, we'll be doing a chapter by chapter talk starting today with chapter one. And then on Wednesdays, we focus on practicing meditation. In the last month, we've been doing breathing mindfulness meditation, and now we're moving into loving kindness meditation. So if you're just joining for the first time now, you're welcome to just join on Sundays if you like, but in order to really put these teachings into practice and have them really change the condition of the mind, you're gonna need to develop a meditation practice based on Gautama Buddha's teachings. So. I've been helping students through the last month to develop this breathing mindfulness meditation practice. And now this second type of meditation that Gautama Buddha taught, loving kindness meditation, is what we're starting to learn now. And we've had one session of this. And all of these sessions are being recorded. So if at any point you need to miss a session for any reason, then you can either go into the YouTube channel to Facebook or the podcast, and you can still learn even though you may not be able to attend live. And that's completely fine. There's a lot of people who actually digest this information beyond our live classes. There's actually even a lot more people that digest it that way than the actual live. But attending live to either Sunday or Wednesday, what's really nice about that is you can actually ask questions and you can participate in the class and you can engage. But even if you're listening to this offline when it's not live, you can still ask questions by making a post in our Facebook group, by sending a private message or scheduling a personal guidance through a website that I have set up where you can actually schedule personal guidance. And some of you guys are already doing that, so just know that that's always available to you. So welcome, glad you're here, really pleased to be able to help you on this path to learn and understand these teachings and progressing each Sunday and Wednesday through learning in these classes. But then the real work begins outside of class where you need to reflect on these teachings and apply them in practice so that you can discover the truth for yourself in your actual practice. Because this path to enlightenment, 
it's a moment by moment, day by day practice. It's not just showing up the classes. It's not just meditating. It's not, you know, just doing one thing. It's actually developing an entire life practice, which is why I titled this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, because this is the life practice of gradually learning, reflecting, and then practicing the teachings. And I'm here to help you. I'm here to guide you but you'll have to reach out and ask for guidance and seek guidance. And that's the way this tradition works is that the teacher doesn't show up in your life and push things on you to believe or try to convince you to believe one thing or another. We actually help you to develop into more of an independent thinker. And if you're already an independent thinker, that's wonderful. You'll do really well in Buddhist teachings because I don't really consider anybody in the Buddhist tradition as followers. Buddhist practitioners tend to not be followers. They tend to be independent thinkers who are very interested in discovering the truth for themselves. And what the role of the teacher is, is to really provide the teachings and kind of point the way and say, this is the way towards this enlightenment, this enlightened mind. And here are the teachings that you're going to need along this path. Now, let me share those with you, provide you those in resources, give you an opportunity to ask questions and get clarification on them. But then as a practitioner, the practitioners go off and actually do the work. And that's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, where you start seeing these teachings starting to connect and discovering more and more of the truth about how this natural world is really comprised because it's very disconcerting and very difficult to live in a world that we don't understand. And that's essentially the problem with the unenlightened mind is it doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. It doesn't understand these natural laws of existence. Gautama Buddha described this as the third poison or the primary challenge with the unenlightened mind. People translate this to ignorance or delusion, but I use the words unknowing of true reality. Because in the unenlightened mind, we don't understand things like impermanence and what causes sadness or what causes anger or what causes happiness or excitement or what causes boredom and loneliness. We just don't understand in the unenlightened mind. And this misunderstanding, this unknowing of true reality creates a lot of struggle in our life where we don't understand these natural laws that we live with and it becomes quite a challenge to live in the world. And you can think about this as when you were a child, as you were growing up as one, two, three years old, if you can remember back to even four, five, six, eight years old, 10 years old, you didn't understand the natural law of gravity. You didn't understand how this natural law of gravity worked and you kept falling down and hurting yourself and you fall off your bike and hit your elbow and you got bloody and you cried and you had challenges. You put your toys places and they fell down and broke. And at certain times, you know, as a six year old, eight year old, a 10 year old, life was kind of miserable to walk around with these bruises and these cuts and scrapes and our toys kept breaking and 
as infants and toddlers, we kept trying to stand up and our legs weren't strong enough and we kept falling down and hurting ourselves and crying or bumping our heads. And life became pretty miserable or started off pretty miserable because we didn't understand the natural law of gravity. Well, eventually, as time went on, we started understanding this natural law more and more and more to the point where now we are as adults and we can freely roam about the world and we can go all over the place and live peacefully and be content as it relates to this natural law of gravity because we understand it. So if we have something really special or something that we treasure, we put it in a really special place and we make sure that it doesn't fall down and break. And we're able to keep that for a pretty long period of time because we now understand the natural law of gravity and we know to put it in a very special place. Or when we go out into the world, we know to look down at the ground, we look at the curb, we look at the sidewalk, we make sure our shoes are tied and we ensure that we don't trip over our shoelaces or a rock or a curb in the street. And this wisdom that was acquired about the natural law of gravity has made our existence so much more peaceful, so much more calm, serene, and content with joy because we can roam around this earth kind of unhindered, so to speak. Well, there's these other natural laws that are present, but we don't understand them in the unenlightened state. And what Gautama Buddha's teachings do is they help you to understand these natural laws. And just like you tested gravity, where you could see that when you have something, it drops, you can do the same thing with Gautama Buddha's teachings, that when you learn them, you can actually practice them and see that they are the truth so that you can then gain the wisdom. And now, with this new wisdom, you're going to start functioning in the world very differently than you did before when you didn't understand. Just like when you didn't understand gravity, you function in a certain way, but now you've modified your decisions and how you do things related to this natural law of gravity because you have more wisdom about this natural law. The same thing with the natural laws that Gautama Buddha taught that when you learn them, and you practice them, and you gain the wisdom, and you see the truth in them, you're going to start making decisions very differently than you did in the past. And you will start figuring out how to exist more and more and more peacefully through these natural laws. But you need some guidance, and you need resources, and you need help to learn these because you can't just see the natural law of gamma necessarily until somebody kind of helps you to see it and then when you see it and you start to acknowledge it and you start to observe it then it becomes so clear it becomes clear as day to you but until it's really laid out on a path the way Gautama Buddha did then it's very difficult for the unenlightened mind to figure this out and one of the things that makes a Buddha a Buddha is that they figure this out by themselves that an unenlightened being wouldn't be able to figure out how to attain enlightenment without guidance. Only a Buddha would be able to do that without a teacher, without a guide. That's one of the things that makes a Buddha a Buddha. So Gautama Buddha figured out these natural laws by himself. And then for 45 years, he taught how to learn these and how to practice them in a way that you can train the mind to discover the same truths and gain the same wisdom that he had 
during his lifetime. And as you do so, your mind will awaken and you'll start having more and more wisdom, being able to make better and better choices, not as a follower. None of these teachings are being followed as rules or commandments. It's all about learning the teachings, reflecting, and then practicing. So as you see more and more of the truth, your decisions will start to improve. The teachings that Gautama Buddha shared during his lifetime, they're quite vast. There's 45 volumes of books that we refer to as the Pali Canon. We call it the Pali Canon because it's captured in the Pali language. The Pali language is no longer a spoken language today, and that has all been translated into English. And there's more and more refined translations that are coming out in English all the time. What I've done in this book is I've consolidated the actual path into one digestible book that really lays out the path in a very clear way. And then once students go through this group learning program for six months or maybe repeat it for a year, kind of doing it twice or three times, then students graduate into kind of more of a program where you're learning directly from the words of the Buddha, which I have other books and other resources that will help you with that. But this program is going to help lay down this foundation where I've been able to assimilate and capture the path and put it into one digestible book. And then that provides a real framework for you. The more you learn the framework of Gautama Buddha's teachings and you start building this life practice for yourself, what you might come to realize is what I came to realize as I wrote this first chapter. This first chapter was actually written after I wrote the vast majority of this book. And what I discovered through fully understanding Gautama Buddha's path to enlightenment is that his teachings are actually very, very similar to other teachings that we have in the world, whether it's the Christian teachings or Judaism or Jainism or Muslim teachings, or, you know, you could go through a lot of different traditions in the world. And sure, these other teachings are sometimes, oftentimes based on belief. But when you look at the core message of any of these teachers and all these various traditions, I feel and in my opinion, it really gets boiled down to these three universal teachings of universal love of all beings, do no harm, and be a good moral person. If you look at the heart of what Gautama Buddha was teaching, that is essentially what he was teaching. But of course, he goes into a lot of detail about how to train the mind and attain this enlightened mental state where the mind's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Enlightenment is the ultimate goal of his teachings. But if you look at some of these other traditions and you hear where Gautama Buddha is talking about something like enlightenment, you can look at Jesus's teaching sometimes and see where he's talking about the Holy Spirit, almost describing something somewhat similar. And you can look at where Gautama Buddha is talking about loving kindness and compassion. And you can see where Jesus talked about love thy neighbor, right? You can see where Gautama Buddha talks about the natural law of gamma, this cause and effect or action and results, the results of your decisions. Well, you can look at Jesus' teachings and see where he talked about reaping what you sow, right? So the reason why I wrote this chapter 
is to really help people who maybe have learned some other traditions, whether it's Christian or Muslim teachings or Judaism or anything else, because oftentimes people who have grown up with one particular tradition, they feel like they're doing something wrong to maybe learn something new or learn something different. And particularly if you were brought up in a community where it was shared with you that there's only one way, there's only one way to heaven, for example, or there's only one way to a better life. And if you've got to believe these teachings, and if you don't believe this, then all these bad things are going to happen to you. Well, if this is what you were taught growing up, then maybe your mind has been conditioned to think that way. And this chapter was really written to kind of open the door, whether you grew up with Christianity or Muslim teachings or Judaism or any traditions out there, because there's so many, or maybe even nothing at all. Like when I grew up, I explored a lot of different things, but my parents didn't impress upon me to learn any one particular thing. So some people might call that, you know, where you grow up just with nothing, like maybe an atheist or spiritual, or you know that there must be something out there to learn, but there wasn't really any kind of concerted effort to learn any one particular thing. So whether you grew up with any particular tradition or you grew up with no tradition at all and you were just kind of allowed to explore whatever you'd like, what this chapter is all about is really opening the door to everybody and essentially say, everybody's welcome in Buddhist teachings. And in fact, this word Buddhist, I don't really identify with that word because it's really just a label. I think of us all as human beings and we all would like to understand the truth and understand true reality about this world. And it happens to be the teachings from the Buddha that for me really explain this very clearly in a way that I can independently discover it for myself and I can teach it to people in a way that they can independently discover it for themselves as well. But these teachings of the Buddha, you know, if you ask the Buddha during his lifetime, I don't think he would say that he was a Buddhist because that term didn't exist during his lifetime. It wasn't until after he died that these teachings were gathered up and then eventually people started saying, okay, well, if you're learning and practicing these teachings, you're a Buddhist. And then as Jesus Christ taught, I don't even think Jesus Christ would consider himself a Christian. It wasn't until after he died that people gathered up the teachings and said, okay, now you're a Christian. And then the same thing, you know, with perhaps Muslim teachings. I don't know because I'm not that familiar with Muslim teachings. But no matter what you look at, whether it's these traditions or Hinduism or Jainism or whatever it is, what oftentimes we're taught is that we have these labels and this person's a Buddhist, this person's a Christian, this person's Muslim, this person's Hindu, this person's something else, this person has no tradition whatsoever, and now we're all supposed to disagree with each other, we're all supposed to fight, we're all supposed to try to convince each other who's right and who's wrong. And what I attempted to do in a certain way in this chapter is to essentially say, everybody's right. There's room for everybody at the table everybody's welcome. Because if you look at all of these teachings and you boil it down, there's these three universal teachings that are being shared with us. 
that we can see very clearly in the Buddhist teachings, and you can also see in other traditions if you've explored these other traditions. And I've titled this chapter, Universal Teachings, Love, No Harm, and Good Morals. But just moving ahead into what it is that I had to share with you is this really gets expanded in the chapter where I talk about universal love of all beings, do no harm, and be a good moral person. And what I've done today is provided you some detail to see within Gautama Buddha's teachings exactly how they map into these three universal teachings. And the beauty about understanding not only the Buddhist teachings in this way, but all these different traditions in the world is that as you're learning and practicing a tradition or a path to a better existence and a better life, if you're ever in doubt about what you should or shouldn't do in any given situation, you can always revert to these teachings, these three very basic teachings. Because if you base your decisions in these three basic teachings, then it's going to produce wholesome results for you. We're going to get into a lot of detail in this program that's going to help you beyond what I'm sharing with you today. But just here at the beginning to throw open the doors and welcome everybody and say no matter what you've learned in the past, everybody's welcome. And what you're going to notice is things that you've learned in the past plug directly into Gautama Buddha's teachings around these three core teachings. And this first one of universal love of all beings this is where Gautama Buddha taught in what we call the Brahma Viharas, loving kindness and compassion for all beings. Loving kindness is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, where you're interested in seeing everyone be well and everyone be peaceful, right? Compassion is concern for the misfortune of others. When you see people in an unfortunate situation, you have concern for that. So this first universal teaching of universal love for all beings, while we call it loving kindness and compassion for all beings, and this is how Gautama Buddha taught it, you can see this same attribute, this same teaching across every tradition from my opinion and based on my exposure of what I've seen in other traditions. Likewise, this second universal teaching of doing no harm. In Gautama Buddha's teachings, you can see very clearly on his Eightfold Path and all throughout all of his teachings, but primarily in the second step of his Eightfold Path, when he teaches right intention, he teaches to practice non-ill will or harmlessness. And essentially what non-ill will is, is it's goodwill. It's essentially loving kindness is essentially practicing not being interested in harming others. That's what harmlessness is and non-ill will. Because if we practice harmlessness where we're not interested in harming others, and then it's just a matter of improving our life practice so that we don't harm others, through our speech, our actions, our livelihood, and things like this, then if we're not causing harm in the world, then harm won't come to us. And if you go through an extended period of time, 
you know, years, you know, six months, a year, two years, three years, where you're making more and more and more decisions where you're not harming other beings, what you're going to notice is no harm will actually come to you. And this is what it means to develop your life practice and clean up the decisions that you've been making in your life so that you get to the point where you're practicing doing no harm to other beings. And the Buddha talked about this as non-ill will or practicing harmlessness. And if you look at the teachings of other traditions, you will see this theme in those teachings as well, depending on who taught you and what books you're looking at and what community you've been part of, you might see that this is also a common theme in these other traditions as well. And then thirdly, this third universal teaching that shows up, I feel, in Gautama Buddha's teachings as well as these other traditions is to be a good moral person. And Gautama Buddha gives a lot of details about what morality is and what moral conduct is, not as a way to fear you or guilt you or shame you into being any particular way or making any particular decisions, but by improving your moral conduct using the Eightfold Path, specifically right speech, right action, and right livelihood, what you're going to learn in this path is you're going to learn how to speak in a way that doesn't cause harm. Gautama Buddha doesn't tell you how to speak. He just gives you guidance and then you use your free will and your own intelligence to form language and speech that doesn't cause harm based on this general guidance that he gives as right speech, including the five factors of well-spoken speech. And then he does the same thing with right action. He doesn't tell you what to do or how to do it. He just says, if you do these things, it's going to cause harm in the world. So therefore, harm is going to come to you. And at that point, it's your choice of whether you choose to actually do these things or not, or whether you choose to practice in this way. He's not going to try to fear you, guilt you, or shame you into conducting certain actions, but he's going to lay out the path, and that's what I'm going to do here in this program, is lay out the path and say these actions cause harm, and if you navigate this, and if you choose to do so, you'll see the truth for yourself that if you do these things, it will cause harm, so harm will come to you, but if you don't do these things, then no harm will come to you. And depending on what your life has been like during the recent times and over the course of your life, you may have actually been involved in some of these things in the past and seen how they turned out not well. So you'll have real life practical experience where you can see, oh yeah, this is the truth for sure. Or you might have been making some really wholesome decisions in certain situations and you'll be able to see, oh yeah, this is the truth for sure because when I did things in this way, I see that it turned out really well. And then Gautama Buddha talks about right livelihood as well as part of his Eightfold Path, which brings together this moral conduct. So if you're learning Gautama Buddha's teachings, these three universal teachings are discussed in this way, where as universal love of all beings, we talk about loving kindness and compassion. When we talk about doing no harm, we talk about non-ill will and harmlessness. And then in terms of our moral conduct and being a good moral person, we look to the Eightfold Path and specifically right speech, right action, and right livelihood. 
But this path to enlightenment, to purify the mind and train the mind to experience this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy involves a whole lot more than just these three universal teachings. But as I mentioned, I offer this in the first chapter as a way to kind of open the door and to give you kind of a bit of a guiding light where if you're ever stuck in any particular situation and you're not quite sure what to do or how to approach things, if you practice love for all beings, doing no harm and be a good moral person, your decision is going to tend to turn out to be a wholesome decision and you're going to have wholesome results because of that. So let me just stop here because this is really all that I was planning to talk about today related to this short little chapter in the book and just give you guys a chance to ask questions as I do in all of these classes. If you're in the Facebook group, YouTube, or Zoom, you can put your question into the comment section and our moderators, James and Bassam, will see that and they'll ask the question during the class. And if you're in Zoom, you have the ability to electronically raise your hand and you can ask your question or any follow-up questions directly as we go in this class. And typically what I'll do is I'll pause kind of every 15 or 20 minutes to seek questions and see if you guys have any questions. But today, because it was a short chapter, I just thought I would kind of teach you what I needed to teach you and share with you. And then now the way that I look at this class is it's a discussion. It's not a lecture. It's not a sermon, right? It's not a homily, right? It's sharing some insight with you, sharing the teachings with you. And now it's an interactive discussion where we can discuss these teachings. And if you're misunderstanding something or you need clarity on something, or you're not quite sure what I'm sharing on a particular teaching, you can get insight into that. And this path to enlightenment is all based on individuals understanding where they are on the path and understanding what they need to learn and reaching out to the teacher to ask questions. Without asking questions of a teacher, a practitioner wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment. You can't just read a book and attain enlightenment. You're going to need to have interaction with a teacher. So that's why I make myself available in all of these different ways. So I would like to just turn things over to all of you and specifically James and Basim to ask any questions you guys might have on anything that we've shared today or anything else that is arising in your practice related to meditation or any of the other classes that we've been teaching in the recent past so that you can get clarity on the teachings and gradually improve your life practice. So to be clear, David, there's no area of the teachings that conflicts with or prevents one from practicing their own religion, so to say. Right, exactly. And, and that was one of the reasons why I wrote this chapter is that, you know, for someone who, say, is a Christian, and if they were brought up feeling like Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior, and, you know, I think in that tradition it's taught that if you worship any false idols that, you know, that's a really bad thing. Essentially, I think they, they teach that you go to hell or something like that. Well, if you're Christian and you're learning Jesus Christ teachings and that's what you've grown up with and that's what you're interested in learning and practicing, great. If those things are helping you, then continue to enjoy that and continue to prosper with those teachings. But there's also the ability here 
for you to reach into Gautama Buddha's teachings, which I think will actually help you to learn and understand Jesus Christ's teachings a lot better. And because Gautama Buddha never described himself as a lord or a savior or a prophet, because Gautama Buddha never asked for anybody to worship him or praise him or practice any rites and rituals, a Christian can maintain their Christian practice and also learn and practice Gautama Buddha's teachings. And these things would actually merge together very nicely. In fact, there's communities in different parts of the world where you've got Christian monks or Christian priests living right in the same monastery as Buddhist monks. And what a lot of Christian priests and pastors and monks will say is that learning and practicing Gautama Buddha's teachings actually makes them a better Christian. And, you know, you could say that about every tradition, not just Christianity, that because of the way Gautama Buddha taught, where he never asked anyone to believe anything, he never asked anyone to worship him, he never referred to himself as a Lord, he never referred to himself as a savior or a prophet, then the doors are wide open for people from all these other traditions to continue to you know, understand things in the way that they have with their own teachings from when they were growing up, but now reach in and gain some insight from a person like Gautama Buddha who's able to really share things in a very unique way that I think will help you to further understand the teachings that you grew up with as a child. And whether we're talking about these various traditions of you know, Jesus or Muslim teachings or Hinduism or what have you, you can even look at these universal teachings in terms of what your grandmother and grandfather taught you and what your mom and dad taught you growing up, right? Like there's these universal teachings, these natural laws of existence that various people have tapped into at different times throughout history. Even our parents and our grandparents have taught us to have universal love for all beings, to do no harm and be a good moral person. But the level of depth and the level of clarity that each of these teachers, whether they're our parents, our grandparents, Jesus, or other traditions, the level of depth and clarity that people have expressed these teachings is different from teacher to teacher. And this is why for me, in my opinion, Gautama Buddha just described these teachings and these universal laws so clearly that it's just so straightforward to be able to learn and understand and actually put it into practice which is the real key to improving the condition of your mind and the condition of your life. Yeah, so the teachings are essentially a reflection of reality. So we can find this wisdom, especially as we learn the Buddhist teachings all around us, including in other religions, would you say, and just simply in the world all around us once we're beginning on this path and we develop the beginnings of wisdom. Yeah, exactly. That's why I call these the natural laws of existence. And Gautama Buddha, being the fully, perfectly enlightened Buddha, tapped into these natural laws and understood them you know, so, 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 so clearly. He had 45 years to teach. Lots of people during his lifetime attained enlightenment during his lifetime. So he left behind a huge wealth of wisdom and a large community of people that deeply understood his teachings and had attained enlightenment. So he left enlightened people on this earth 
when he died to be able to carry on his teachings. And because those people experienced this enlightened mental state where they eliminated discontentedness, attaining this peaceful mind, the last thing they were interested in doing was changing the teachings for any kind of political purpose or greed or anything else because an enlightened being doesn't have greed. An enlightened being doesn't have ego, right? So the last thing they were interested in doing was changing the teachings. So for a very long period of time, his teachings were handed down in a way that you could actively learn and understand these teachings to experience the same results of enlightenment like Gautama Buddha and the people during his lifetime. But because these are natural laws, the Buddha tapped into them in a very clear and profound, concise way. But in my view and in my opinion, Jesus was tapping into some of these same things as well. He used his own language. He used a different cultural context to explain them. He lived at a different time than the Buddhas, and he lived in a different culture. So he explained them in a different way. But at the core of what he was explaining, you can see a lot of similarities to Gautama Buddha's teachings. And I don't know Prophet Muhammad's teachings or Hindu teachings very closely, but just on the surface of the things that I've seen, I can easily see how Prophet Muhammad and maybe the thought leaders of Hindu tradition that they were also tapping into a lot of these same natural laws as well. And this is why I feel that we're seeing these similarities across traditions is because these natural laws exist and they're in the world. Various teachers have tapped into them at different times and explained them in different ways. But the way that Gautama Buddha explained them 2,500 years ago, it was timeless. He didn't explain them in a way that once he explained them, then they would be outdated a, a few hundred years later. Or he didn't use language even that would be outdated a few hundred years later. This is why we can take his teachings and bring them into the English language. And they make just as much sense to us today as they did 2,500 years ago. And this is why we can experience enlightenment today because he was just teaching these natural laws and these natural laws are timeless. What existed during his lifetime in terms of these natural laws are the same natural laws that exist today. So for example, the natural law of gravity, we were talking about that. The natural law of gravity existed during Gautama Buddha's lifetime just as it exists today. And that's why beings during his lifetime understood the natural law of gravity just like we understand it today. Now, the natural law of gravity isn't part of Gautama Buddha's teachings, but he was teaching about the natural laws of existence. And just like they understood the natural law of gravity 2,500 years ago, and we understand it today, and we function with the natural law of gravity today, this is why we can learn his teachings from 2,500 years ago and experience the same results of an enlightened mind because his teachings are timeless, because he's teaching about the natural laws which haven't changed since his lifetime. Thanks, David. Let's get a Gloria next who has her hand raised. Perfect. Um, in regards to uh, what um, David is saying, uh, um, I am one that since I was a child, uh, I was raised Catholic, 
and since I was a child, um, built a connection with, um, I would say nowadays spirituality, but then God, something like that. And um, when I was young, I started looking and I started looking and these were like, you know, this is Catholic, this is the Christianity, but things didn't feel inside me like, right you know like i'm not saying it's wrong but it just didn't like, like you know i just wanted to investigate more um and now i am a um a, a mature woman and honestly have been in many uh other religions and philosophies and i noticed it including buddhism <laughs> and um i noticed all the time like i go back and i analyze and it's uh, the root in for me it's in reality is the um teaches teachings of buddha it's i just feel it's just so deep it's just like all the time any philosophy or religion i have been going then i look back and then it's like well the buddha's explaining it the same thing even more clear more easy for me to understand um, and I also see it in a way that is like scientific. Nowadays, the people are starting to realize uh, that it's, it's true. It's just not a belief. It's just it's more than just a belief. It's now it's becoming even scientific. Um, so this is like it's amazing. It's uh, and I I do think that um, his teachings. Um, they're not human. I mean, it's not like from. It's it's amazing. It's just it's, it's from from higher powers. That's what I had to do in regards to David. What he's saying. That's how I feel. Thank you, Gloria. I appreciate you sharing that. And since James has used this word a couple of times, I used it a couple of times, and now you're using it. This word, religion. I talk about this, I think, in the preface of the book, maybe not in chapter one so much, but this word religion is really something that, you know, kind of has come about since the death of these original teachers, where people have assigned rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship to a particular collection of teachings. And some people would consider Gautama Buddha's teachings a religion, but I wouldn't because when I look at religion, I think of a centralized organization who is responsible for disseminating teachings out throughout the world, and people are taught to believe these teachings with rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship. And when I look at Gautama Buddha's teachings, I don't see that. So while a lot of people do consider Gautama Buddha's teachings a religion, if we consider that religion is a centralized organization that's collected teachings and now is having rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship, Gautama Buddha's teachings don't have rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship. There's also uh, not a centralized organization that disseminates the teachings throughout, and there's no belief as part of his teachings. And I think this is what Gloria is really kind of touching on, is that you can see the truth for yourself. And whether you consider Gautama Buddha's teachings a religion or not, somewhere out in the world, all the different students that I teach will have different opinions on this, and, and that's fine. But one thing that I would encourage all of you to do as you embark on this journey of learning these teachings is 
oftentimes the word religion conjures up some fear or some guilt or shame or resentment or things like this, particularly if you've been involved in a community that it caused a lot of challenges for you growing up. So if the word religion elicits negative feelings for you, that's even more of a reason to kind of strip that away. And that's why I kind of talk about that in the preface and say, you know, this approach to life with Gautama Buddhist teachings is developing a life practice where you are an independent thinker and you're able to make wise choices in your life through understanding these natural laws of existence. So I agree with what you're sharing, Gloria, and thank you for sharing that. And at the same time, encourage you all to not think of Gautama Buddha's teachings as a religion, but instead of as a life practice in which you're learning teachings and then you apply them in your life through wise decision-making or discernment. Thanks, David. We have several questions coming in from Zoom, so let's go to Basam now. Okay. Question from Joshua. It says, with loving kindness and compassion for all beings, how does this relate to animals and the consumption of meat? Yes, so remember, there's nothing here that is a rule, right? There's nothing that is a commandment. But what the Buddha is teaching you in terms of loving kindness and compassion is helping you to cultivate a mind that has wholesome qualities where you're practicing a genuine interest in others being well and you have this interest in seeing peacefulness and you're not interested in harming others as well as you have this compassion or this concern for the misfortune of others. So this relates not only to human beings but it also relates to animals as well that you're not interested in harming animals, for example. There's lots of different thoughts out there about eating meat and not eating meat and how that relates. I actually talk about this in detail in chapter seven, and we're going to explore this in chapter seven in detail. I chose to stop eating meat about two and a half, three years ago, and it was a wonderful decision and I observed improvements within two, three, four, five, six months that the body was functioning better. I no longer had digestive issues. I noticed that the mind became more clear. I noticed that the skin became more clear. I noticed that the mind no longer had these up and down emotions that I was experiencing. And I attributed this to the hormones and the drugs and the toxins that are found in the meat. Because when I stopped eating meat, it really cleared out a lot of problems that I was experiencing in the body and in the mind. And I could see this tangibly. I could see the truth for myself. And that's a choice that I made two and a half, three years ago. There's no teaching that you will see that the Buddha says, everybody has to do this or everybody has to do that. He never teaches that way. Instead, he helps you understand what the problem is in the unenlightened mind and then he gives you the solution. Well, one of the problems that we have in the unenlightened mind is this craving, desire, attachment, where the mind longs for something with a strong eagerness. We also have this hatred or anger, ill will, where we are hostile and aggressive and we kind of push things away. 
And then the third one is we call it ignorance or delusion or unknowing of true reality. We'll explain these and talk about them in chapter eight in a lot more detail. But just generally, that's what these three poisons are. Or we also call them the three unwholesome roots. Gautama Buddha's teachings on this path will help you eradicate these problems in the unenlightened mind. And one of the things you need to cultivate in order to eliminate this anger, hatred, or ill will is this loving kindness and compassion. And in addition to the real tangible things that I noticed that there was less sickness in the body by not eating meat, there was more clarity of mind, there was more health in the physical body by not eating meat. I also know that I'm not causing harm to animals by not eating meat out there that are you know, being farmed. But when I came to that decision, that was a decision for me. I don't try to convince other people to make that same decision, but because everybody has to make their own decisions at their own time, and there's no judgment on this path of everybody has to do this or everybody has to do that. There's no rules to follow like I shared, but the more that you learn about these teachings and the more that you come to understand these teachings, you may at some point, or you may not, choose to eliminate meat from your diet. And if you choose to do that or when you choose to do that is a complete personal choice for you and you alone. And if you're eating meat now or you decide to continue to eat meat for the rest of your life, there's no judgment of you for that. And there's no looking down on one person who decides to eat meat or not eat meat. There's none of that in this practice of that people should be looking at each other and judging each other because everybody's on the path and everybody's at different places on their path. But one of the things that I came to understand is not only is there less sickness, not only is there more clarity of mind and more health in the body, but I came to understand that how could I have loving kindness and compassion for all beings if I'm actually eating a being, right? How could I actually have loving kindness for all beings and have compassion for all beings if I'm actually physically eating another being? And it took a while for me to gradually transition off of eating meat. And eventually I ended up eliminating eggs and dairy and and things like this as well. And as I said, there was lots of results. And this is where you can see the truth for yourself that through eliminating this from your practice, from your life practice, you'll see the results in the health of the body and the mind yourself through making these choices. But when or if you decide to do that is completely your choice and something that you may decide to come to at some point. And we'll actually cover this topic in a lot more detail when we get to chapter seven. Okay, a question from Nick. In the first part, she says, Teacher David, can we go over how the five precepts relate to the three universal teachings? And are they detailed in a later chapter? I think that it would be best to talk about that after we've talked about the five precepts, which are in chapter seven. That's where we discuss the five precepts. And I've got Gautama Buddha's actual words there. And then I expand it with my own words as well to help you understand it more clearly. Because in order to understand how the five precepts map into the three universal truths, you have to first understand the five precepts and you have to understand these. So once we get to chapter seven, if you would like to understand how these map in, then we can discuss it there. But 
absolutely the five precepts map into these three universal teachings as well. Okay, uh, in the second part of the next uh, question, she says, how would you describe the five precepts compared to the Ten Commandments? I don't recall 100% of what the Ten Commandments say. I know that I studied them at one point in my life, but I'd be pretty hard-pressed to list what the actual Ten Commandments are. But what's important for you to understand with the five precepts is these aren't commandments. These aren't rules to follow. All of Gautama Buddha's teachings are based around this cause and effect or action and result. Essentially, the results of your decisions. By you making wholesome decisions, wholesome things are going to happen. And by you making unwholesome decisions, unwholesome things are going to happen. So, for example, the first precept, which is living compassionately, trembling for the welfare of all living beings, where the Buddha talks about not killing other beings. Well, we can see very clearly that if we kill other beings, bad things are going to happen for us. Our mind has to have a certain level of hatred and ill will in order to kill another living being. And if we're killing human beings or we're actively killing animals, then that hatred and that anger, that ill will that's in the mind, it's not going to be just directed at those beings that we're killing. It's also going to be directed at other beings in our life too. And we're going to find it very difficult to have healthy relationships with people. Right. So the five precepts, their guidance of helping you to drastically eliminate your unwholesome decisions that you make that are going to cause harm in the world and therefore harm is going to come to you. Because with this first precept of not killing, we know that not only is there going to be hatred, anger and ill will in the mind in order to kill other beings. But if we start killing other beings, particularly human beings, we're going to go to jail right? We're going to have a hard time in life. And that's the unwholesome results. What oftentimes people think about with this natural law of gamma is they think it's this mystical, magical thing in the sky or this punishment and rewards. But it's not. It's actually just this causality of cause and effect, action, result, the results of your decision. So if our decision is that we're going to kill other living beings, for example, and we actively go out into the world and we're killing dogs and we're killing cats and we're killing animals and we're killing human beings, those decisions are going to lead to harmful results for us. Or like the second precept about stealing, right? The decisions for us to steal, if we did that, it's going to produce harmful effects for us. And one of the things that I do in this book is when I talk about the Buddhist teachings, I give examples of those harmful effects because pretty much everything that the Buddha taught not to do at some point in my life, I actually did. And I experienced the results therein. And because of that, I have a very clear understanding of if I do these things Harmful things are going to happen in the world, so therefore harm is going to come to me. And if I do these things, they're really wholesome and beneficial. Therefore, a lot of wholesome and beneficial things are going to happen for me. So you've probably experienced this in your life too. So don't think of the precepts as commandments or rules that are being given to you by some entity 
And if you don't do these things, bad things are going to happen. You're going to be punished. That's not going to promote the kind of mind that is an independent thinker that's looking at things with an intelligent mind and trying to see this causality that if these things are happening and I'm making the decisions to do these things, wholesome things are going to happen. If I'm making these decisions to do these unwholesome things, unwholesome things are going to happen. You've got to see this natural law of gamma very clearly in this causality that it's right here, right now, that it's right here and right now. This whole natural law of gamma is happening all the time. For example, if I was teaching right now and I was jumping around from topic to topic to topic to topic and you were finding it really difficult to understand what I was teaching, there wouldn't be any students who would listen and who would learn because my mind is muddled and unclear and students would find it very difficult to learn with me. But because I've cultivated a mind of concentration, now when I speak, I can speak with clarity and focus and I can uh, speak with right speech. So therefore, people have shared that they're pleased to be able to learn with me. And I'm very pleased when students choose to learn with me. And I work at being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to all the students. And because of this, because of being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful, that's what I get back from the students. They're always very polite, kind, friendly, and respectful with me. This is the causality. Whereas if I was muddle-minded, if I was impolite, if I was unkind, if I was disrespectful, then how would I be able to host classes teaching these things and actually benefiting people's life? So this natural law of gamma is at play all the time. So this is why when you're polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to the people around you, you're going to find that you're going to have more friends and you're going to have better job opportunities. You're going to move up in your company and make more salary and get more promotions. So these kind of things of understanding Gautama Buddha's teachings, not as rules or commandments, but as guidance. And when you independently see the wisdom in his teachings and you start making the decisions to improve your life practice by practicing using this guidance, then you're going to see that as you make more and more decisions in your life, that better and better things are going to be happening for you. Not because of punishment and rewards, but because you're making better decisions. So therefore, you're going to have more opportunities in your life to improve the things that you're doing in your life because you're not harming others. Okay. Uh, and the last part of the next question, she says, I have heard there are actually 10 precepts and for ordained practitioners, hundreds. When are the 10 precepts used and studied? And could you send me the 10 or mention them here? Sure. So I have these first five in this book in chapter seven. You can look there. Uh, I do suggest that you progress through the book as it's laid out because it's laid out in a specific way in order to help you gradually build your practice. But if you've got a real interest to learn the five precepts, you can go right to chapter seven and get those here in this book. Then if you're interested in understanding the eight precepts, you can download this book from our Facebook group, which is Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Go to the files menu and you'll see, actually, I don't have this one uploaded yet, 
But if you private message me, I'll send it to you. The eight precepts are in here. And then the 10th precept, the extra precepts that are in the 10 is about handling money. Okay. And yes, for ordained practitioners, they follow 227 for the males and the females practice 311. But again, what's really important for you to understand is these precepts, they're not rules or commandments. They're actually training guidelines that help to promote and cultivate a certain mind, certain mind states in the mind. So for example, one of the eight precepts is about the Buddha talks about not beautifying the body not using cologne or perfume or wearing jewelry or garlands or things like this. It's not that there's anything wrong with wearing perfume. It's not that there's anything wrong with wearing earrings or anything like this. But what he's trying to teach you, and he doesn't explain this in the actual precept. You have to understand all of his teachings to really get to this understanding. When you understand that he taught as part of the eight precepts not to decorate the physical body, the reason why is because it helps to promote and realize non-self. Because this one teaching that he has about non-self, where the mind thinks that this physical body is the self and it protects the physical body, and if somebody comments negatively about the physical body, then the unenlightened mind is going to have a tendency to become discontent. It's going to become angry or frustrated or irritated. So his teachings with the precepts and all of his other teachings are to provide you guidance to promote the cultivation of wholesome qualities that are going to help you get closer and closer to enlightenment. And his teachings on all the precepts and everything else are to teach you how to eliminate unwholesome qualities in the mind to once again promote the training of the mind to get closer and closer to this enlightened mental state. So if you're going to learn the five, eight, or 10 precepts or anything beyond that, it's important that you don't just follow them as rules or commandments, but instead you understand how each individual precept relates to the Buddhist teachings and what aspects of the mind is this precept meant to eliminate certain unwholesome qualities of the mind and what part of this precept is meant to cultivate the wholesome qualities in the mind because if you just followed the precept as rules or commandments it wouldn't eliminate the unwholesome qualities and cultivate the wholesome qualities so you've got to make sure that you work with the teacher to understand what is this precept really getting to in terms of guidance to train the mind to get to this enlightened mental state? Because when you understand the why of the precept, not just what the precept is and just follow it as a rule, but understand why did he teach this precept? How does it relate to attaining enlightenment? When you understand that, then you'll be able to cultivate the type of mind that you need to attain this enlightened mental state that's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, where you'll have focus, clarity of mind, deep memory, and clarity of thought so that you can then perform in life with this really optimized mind where you've cleared out all this pollution and you've brought in all these really wholesome mental qualities. Okay, uh, here Sora says, I feel struggles to feel universal love, 
to all beings. When I see all the fighting and cruelties in the world, I read about this in books by Thich Nacht Han. He says it's important to have compassion and to see how the cruel people became the way they are. I understand this in theory. Still, I can't feel it. Do you have an advice? Yes. So what you're describing there is, you know, as you learn these teachings more and more and you start to understand the problems in the world, oftentimes as you understand these teachings more and more, you start seeing more and more problems in the world. And it kind of motivates you to learn and practice more deeply because you start really truly understanding what the problems are. And it's hard for people as you're on this path and you're progressing to have loving kindness and compassion for a murderer, for a person who abuses children, for you know any number of situations. But this is where you've got to get to is understanding this loving kindness and compassion, deeply understanding what these are and how to practice it. And also understanding that people who are doing harm in the world, in some cases, yes, they know they're doing harm and it's concerted decisions to do harm. But in a lot of situations, the vast majority of people, they don't truly understand the harms that they're causing in the world and how that's actually causing harm to them. So developing compassion for concern for others' misfortune, that part of that misfortune is that they have this unknowing of true reality, that they don't understand the teachings. They don't understand this wisdom. They don't understand this moral conduct, and they don't have the mental discipline to develop a life practice that is going to be conducive to peace and well-being in the world. So developing compassion is really important to help you have loving kindness and compassion for beings that are causing harm in the world. And at the same time, it really helps you to understand that you've caused harm in the past as well. Maybe if you try to measure it or compare it to what other people do to what you've done, but you've still caused harm as well. And rather than judge other people, just understand that everybody's on their path and they're at a different point in their path. Not everybody is where you are in terms of where you're practicing. And that's because of impermanence, that not everybody is really interested in necessarily improving their life. And there's people out there that do really horrible things in the world. And just because that's where they are in their life, we should have loving kindness and compassion for those people because they're lacking the wisdom and moral conduct and mental discipline. So there's a certain intellectual understanding that you have to come to and realize that everybody in the world is at different places in their path to enlightenment. And just because someone's born and being a murderer right now doesn't mean they're always going to be doing that, for example. And they will hopefully at some point, either this life or some future life, start to learn to not do those things anymore. But it doesn't help us to have and harbor any hatred or ill will towards these people because it just harms us. So there's a certain intellectual part that you need to come to understand. And with that intellectual understanding, try to look at everybody as family and Look at them as maybe being your family at some point. 
And then beyond that, you need to learn this loving kindness meditation that we're doing on Wednesdays now, because this is what transforms the mind. It's one thing for me to sit here and say, yeah, let's have loving kindness. Yeah, let's have compassion, explaining what that is, helping you to understand what that is intellectually. But you've got to move it into practice. And that's what loving kindness meditation does is it transforms this mind and it starts to slowly erode any anger, hatred, ill will, resentment or anything like this. Just talking about having loving kindness and compassion is very different than deeply soaking into the mind this loving kindness and compassion through active mind training like with loving kindness meditation. So there's a combination here in this path to enlightenment where you're doing a certain amount of intellectual learning and understanding. You're doing a certain amount of reflection and starting to seeing how the teachings are true and the real wisdom in the teachings. And then there's a big element of practice and making sure that you're moving the teachings into practice to deeply transform the mind and move this mind in the direction of enlightenment. And that's where the real work is, but that's also where the real benefits are, the real results are. So these are just some things that I can share with you, learning more intellectually, but then moving into practice with loving kindness meditation and then practicing loving kindness in daily life. This is a slow process. There's no quick answers. There's no quick fixes. There's no snapping the fingers and just instantly loving everybody. It's got to be deeply soaked into the mind through a gradual training as the mind moves closer and closer to this enlightened mental state. Okay, a question from Holly. Trying to have loving kindness for people that do terrible things is difficult for the unenlightened mind. It's like human nature wishes all ill will on people that are cruel. And we take it on ourselves to bring justice on these people. Will these teachings help us to get past uh, these, feel uh, these feelings that we are having or uh, that we have been taught as right and just? Is it not the responsibility of good humans to punish and try to reform people that do bad things like hurting other people? There's nothing you can do to change other people. We can do things like have prisons or have rehabilitation programs or attempt to motivate people to learn and do things better. But at the end of the day, every human being, every being needs to make decisions for themselves. So there are things in this human world that we have set up like prisons and rehabilitation centers and things like this to help people, to motivate them and encourage them to be better people. But whether they choose to do that or not is their choice. It's not going to work for everybody. There has to be a way to get through. What I feel is that the vast majority of the world doesn't understand the real problem within our human species. We don't understand as a large population of people, 7.5 billion people. We don't understand 
these good wholesome teachings of the Buddha, for example, that will completely transform the mind, the more you learn them, reflect on them and practice them, it will drastically improve the condition of the mind and drastically improve the conduct of individuals. But still, even with that, the individual has to make the choice to learn, reflect and practice the teachings. If they don't choose to do it, there's no way you can force somebody to attain enlightenment. But as more and more of the world starts to learn and understand Gautama Buddha's teachings and the real ability for them to transform the human mind and thus transform a human being through choices of that individual choosing to learn and practice the teachings, what we will probably see is more and more Gautama Buddha's teachings showing up in places like prisons and rehabilitation centers and things like this. Because here in Thailand, one of the big things is is that for people that have addiction problems, for example, in other countries, they will leave their country and come live here for three months or six months or a year and go through a residential rehabilitation program. And a lot of the rehabilitation programs here in Thailand are based on Gautama Buddha's teachings because we know here in Thailand that this is the truth and this is what will transform the mind. So a lot of the rehabilitation centers are based around Buddhist teachings so that as they come in, there's certain chemical uh, dependency issues and scientific things and medical things that, yeah, they have staff to deal with that. But then they also have people that are sharing the teachings of the Buddha as a way to help people who are addicted to substances, for example, to eliminate that and build a better life practice for themselves. But for you, me, and everyone else who's not in those roles, our only objective in this life is to attain enlightenment for ourselves. There's no obligation for you to go out and spread these teachings to everyone in the world and try to convince others to learn and practice these teachings. For somebody to do so would be with craving, desire, attachment. You're going to utterly make yourself mad and frustrated if you ran off into the world and tried to convince everyone to learn and practice these teachings. If you see what I do is, you know, I have this Facebook group, I have these resources, I set everything up. And for people who choose to come forward, I have ways of helping people. But to go out on a street corner and hit a drum and try to fear or guilt or shame people or even force people, not that you're recommending that we do that, but if I was to do that, it wouldn't work it wouldn't work and I wouldn't be interested in doing it. It would only be coming from a place of craving and desire attachment on my own part. So what's most important for us as practitioners is that you focus on your enlightenment, James focus on his, Bill focus on his, Josh focus on his, and all the people who are not yet learning and practicing these teachings at some point, either this life or some future life, they need to focus on their own enlightenment. And by everybody focusing on their own issues and their own improvement of their own mind, as a world, as a collective species, as all of humanity, we will evolve as a species. But it has to come from each individual being choosing to do that for themselves. And I'm not here to punish anybody. I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm not here to condemn anybody. All I'm here to do is share the teachings that I know absolutely work 
to attain this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. And whoever chooses to step forward to learn and understand those, then I'm here to help them. But if somebody's not interested to do that, then I can't help them. Because in order to get to enlightenment, there needs to be a million and one decisions that that person makes. You know, all the different classes, all the different times to pick up a book and read a book, all the different times they have to choose to meditate, all the different times that they need to make the active choice to do good, wholesome things in their life. There's millions and millions of decisions that someone has to make in order to get to enlightenment. And there's no way to force someone to make those decisions. So all we can do is focus on our own enlightenment. And for me, I've decided to teach. So share these teachings for anybody who chooses to step forward and anybody who's not interested in learning, then okay, that's fine. That's their choice. And I'm just going to keep moving on with my life and just focus on helping those people who are asking for help. But it's important that you just focus on your own enlightenment. Don't think about punishing others. Just focus on eliminating unwholesome qualities from your mind and cultivating the wholesome qualities in your mind. People who are doing wrong things in the world, they're facing their consequences. You don't have to be the person to ensure that they meet their consequences because they are meeting their consequences. And you may not be there when they meet those consequences, but they are either wholesome or unwholesome. So by us each focusing individually on our own learning and our own practice, that you can actually gain results because you can change your mind, but you can't change the mind of other people. Okay, teacher. Uh, question here. Uh, what would be the result of uh, loving kindness that lacks wisdom? What would be uh, the, the kind of karma uh, in some parts of the world, like here in Egypt? Uh, some people are interested in forcing other people to believe in their uh, religions. That may be for them, of course, this go against all uh, moral, uh, all universal morals. But for them, they think that they are doing the right thing. Sometimes people affect them in believing in a wrong religion. Of course, again, that's for them. So maybe this is a kind of loving, but it lacks a wisdom. What would be the result of this kind of loving? That person will just continue to be frustrated. They'll continue to be irritated because they continue to have craving, desire, attachment. I don't think about what's right or wrong necessarily. I know what is the truth in terms of Gautama Buddha's teachings and what leads to enlightenment. But these other traditions that are being taught out in the world, I don't think of them as right or wrong. And if somebody chooses to share the teachings that they've learned and they try to impress upon others to believe those teachings, then they're doing what they think is best in the world. And that's what they're choosing to do. And I'm not attempting to try to change them to do anything differently. I'm just going to keep doing what I do. But for those people who have craving, desire, attachment, this is the cause of discontentedness in the mind, which we talked about in previous classes. And we'll talk about some more in future classes. So if somebody's out there beating a drum, trying to get people to forcefully believe in what they believe, they're going to experience discontentedness of mind and that's their result or that's their karma. 
And as long as they're continuing to do that, they're going to continue to experience discontentedness. So that's the results of what they're producing for themselves. There's no entity that's punishing them. It's just them punishing themselves that by having craving, desire, attachment, they're going to continue to have discontentedness in their mind and they're going to continue to struggle in the world because it's not just that one topic that they're having craving, desire, attachment about. It's about many different things in their life and they're experiencing discontentedness on many different levels and many different topics. A person who has a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, they just have wisdom and a smile. They don't need to go out into the world and forcefully convince people to do the things that they know are right and the things that they know is the truth. So you won't find enlightened people out on a street corner trying to force people to have any particular belief because the path to enlightenment is all about learning the truth and eliminating belief. And enlightened people that are teaching will set up in a way where they're not asking for money they're not motivated out of any kind of selfish pursuits and they're not going to try to push and push and push and push people they're going to allow people to make the choice to step forward and learn and be guided on the path as they choose without them actually having craving desire attachment themselves because an enlightened being has eliminated all of that so they're just going to set up in a way that is going to allow people to step forward and learn if they choose. And then if people choose not to learn, then okay, they're fine with that because their mind's already peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. They're not trying to push and force people to attain enlightenment because an enlightened being knows that that's not going to work. Okay. Uh, thanks, teacher. Uh, no more questions for now. Okay. Anything from you, James? I had a quick question. When we see the universal teachings and many of the teachings of the Buddha, at first glance, the teachings may seem outward focused and focused on others. But would you say that the primary motivation of the teachings is not the effect that this conduct has on others, but the effect that the conduct we have with others has on our own mind? Yes, you said that very well, James. And keep in mind that there's three main traditions of Buddhist teachings. And we'll talk about this probably about five months from now. That there's Theravada Buddhism, there's Mahayana Buddhism, there's Tibetan Buddhism, and then there's many offshoots of those that are different sects and different traditions, different schools. And each of these traditions teach different things in different ways. We feel that in the Theravada tradition that we are sharing and practicing what the Buddha actually taught during his lifetime. And in this tradition, it's all inwardly focused. It's all about training our mind. It's about each individual being on an independent journey to learn, reflect, and practice teachings to train your mind to attain enlightenment. And by you training your mind and changing your conduct, things will automatically change around you. But if you make your primary focus to change other people, then you haven't actually solved the problem because the mind is still thinking that the problem is the external world. The problem isn't the external world. Yes, there's problems in the world, 
that people are murdering, for example, or abusing children or selling drugs and things like that. Yes, those are problems. But the problem that an individual is having is they want things to be a different way. And if an individual went off into the world and tried to change everybody else, then they're not understanding that the real problem is in their own mind. It doesn't mean that you aren't aware of these other problems in the world. It just means that as you get deeper and deeper into this path, you start realizing and you come to understand that the real true problems that you've been experiencing your whole life is your own mind. And this is why, for example, someone who lives in America who might be having a really difficult life, if they move to here in Thailand, just because Thailand is a pretty peaceful place and it's sunshine most of the time and all this great food and lovely things going on, their life isn't going to change drastically just because they moved from the United States to Thailand. Yes, they've changed their environment, but the problems have followed them because the problems is their own mind and the way that they make decisions in the world. So this path to enlightenment, while other traditions might focus you on changing other people, what the Buddha actually really taught is he taught to change your mind, your own mind. And you can see this if you understand Gautama Buddha's journey. When he left the royal palace to attain enlightenment, he didn't go out and try to change everybody else. He went deep into the forest and changed his own mind. He focused for six years on changing his own mind because once he changed his mind and he improved the condition of his mind with wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline, then once he changed his mind, he was then able to share teachings with others who chose to learn with him. He didn't go out and try to force people to learn with him. He just allowed whoever chose to learn to learn with him. And you can see this in the way that he conducted his own life. So what he did is for six years, he dedicated time, effort, and energy to focus inwardly on improving the condition of his own mind. And then once he understood the teachings and he had attained this enlightened mental state, that's when he was able to then start sharing it with the world. So for you in wherever you are in the world, Sure, things are challenging. Sure, you see things that are problematic. Sure, maybe even in your own household, you're experiencing some problems in your household. And your initial feeling might be that you need to train everybody else to do things a certain way. And then if you think if you train everybody to do things a certain way, that that's going to improve your life. But the problem is, is that that's not going to work because that's what the unenlightened mind wants is it wants to train everybody else to do things your way but there's 7.5 billion people in the world you can't train 7.5 billion people to do things your way because as soon as somebody else shows up in your life that don't do things your way your mind's going to be frustrated again so rather than embarking on a journey where you're trying to train everyone to do things your way focusing externally what the Buddhist teachings do is focus you internally to change the one mind that you have complete ability to change because you only have one mind in this entire world that you have complete 
ability to change, and that's your own mind. And by you focusing on changing your own mind through this guidance and this training, by you doing that, then you can get to the real solution because now you're working on the real problem. The problem isn't this outside world. That's not the problem. That's the way the unenlightened mind perceives the problem. It thinks that the outside world is the problem because the unenlightened mind doesn't understand the outside world. It has this unknowing of true reality. It doesn't understand these natural laws of existence. So it's trying to change the outside world and it thinks if it changes this outside world and gets everything just right, that you're gonna somehow be peaceful. But it never works. That's why you're still frustrated. That's why you still get disappointed. That's why you're still lonely and sad and bored and feeling guilty sometimes and maybe shy because you can't change this outside world. The only thing you can do is focus on developing wisdom to understand this outside world, is understand these natural laws of existence. And when you understand this outside world, when you understand these natural laws of existence, now the mind has wisdom and it has awakened to these natural laws. And now you can start making better decisions in the world based on now understanding these outside laws of existence, these natural laws of existence, you'll understand them and now you'll be able to navigate them with wisdom rather than what we do in the unenlightened state where we're trying to change the outside world. You can't change this outside world. It is the way that it is. It functions on these natural laws of existence. So the best thing you can do is focus on your own mind to understand with wisdom what are these natural laws of existence and once you do now you'll be able to navigate them to your benefit with very good results that's a great point david it's only when we focus on ourselves and our own mind that we can truly become the type of person who can actually have a positive impact on the world around us yeah and you know i've often shared in past classes how at one time in my life, I was sharing a little bit of the Buddhist teachings when I understood a little bit of them. And I helped a few thousand people during that time when I was living in America. And that was over a 10-year period. But spending time to focus on my own practice, which moving here to Thailand allowed me to do, is focus on my own practice, just very much like the Buddha did, just going inward and just focusing only on my own practice now and kind of re-emerging from that and now starting to teach here in Chiang Mai, Thailand and starting to teach online, I've been able to touch hundreds of thousands of people in just one, two, three years of teaching. I've been able to touch hundreds of thousands of people where when I was trying to do it the other way before, where I was going around trying to help everybody else and help everybody else and help everyone else and I was neglecting my own practice then I was only able to help a few thousand people. But when I reversed that and I figured that out and I was like, okay, well, let me focus on my own practice. And when I did that, then now I can reemerge having really understood the teachings and help hundreds of thousands of people. And this is where you can really benefit the world is by focusing on your own mind first, then as you get closer and closer to enlightenment and you deeply understand these teachings, if you would like to help your family members or you would like to help other people and they choose to learn with you, then you'll be able to do that. But until you understand yourself, there's no way you can help somebody else. 
like for example like if you've never driven a car before would you be able to teach someone how to drive a car no you wouldn't be able to because you've never driven a car so in order for you to help others if you really have deep loving kindness and compassion for your family or your friends or those close to you or you really would like to develop that the best thing you can do is really dedicate your time to focusing on your own practice because the more wisdom you get and you see how these teachings work you're going to be in a better and better position to help those people around you so one of the first things that i did is i started helping my son and my wife and then when i was helping them and i saw them making progress then i started opening classes here in local chiang mai and i started helping a lot of the local tourists and local people and then I decided to move it online and start to help people online and reach a wider and wider audience of people. But I would have never been able to do that had I not focused on my own practice. And even now today, having had the experiences that I've had with these teachings, and as much as I do with teaching and podcasts and everything else, I still focus on my own practice. That's still the number one priority. I wouldn't be able to be a good teacher and whether you consider me to be a good teacher or not, I wouldn't be able to be a teacher without focusing on my own practice. So even though I'm writing books, even though I'm teaching classes, even though I'm translating some of the teachings from the Buddha into what I feel are improved translations, I still spend time reading the Buddha's teachings. I still spend time meditating regularly, consistently. I still step away from certain things that I'm involved in to ensure that the condition of my own mind is just improving and improving and improving. So you've always got to make your practice the number one priority. Because if you neglect your own practice out of what you think is to benefit other people, then you're just neglecting your own practice and you're really not serving the greater good and producing the best results that you really can. And one of the things that we're taught in Western culture is to focus on our own life is like selfish. I know I was taught that growing up, that I was taught to help everybody else first, that I had to help everyone else first. But I tried that and it doesn't work. You've got to focus on your own life and build your own wisdom first. And by you doing that, then you'll have some real wisdom to be able to actually help others if you choose to actually do that. So don't get this confused and try to put everybody else first and put yourself last. Because if you do, you're going to run yourself ragged and you're going to feel very empty at the end of the day. You've got to put your own practice, your own meditation first. And then as you develop more and more wisdom, you'll be able to help everyone else. This is one of the reasons why at, when I do guided meditations, I always say, you know, nobody needs you right now, right? There's nothing to do. Nobody needs you right now. You know, these kind of things is just to help you understand this is all about you. Your meditation practice is all about you. You learning this Eightfold Path, you sitting down and reading the book 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day. This is all about you. But by you focusing on you, you're going to be that much better for everyone else around you because you're not going to be causing harm in the world. Right now, by you speaking harshly and aggressive to people, if you do that, you're causing harm in the world. Or by you making decisions through bodily actions, 
you're causing harm in the world. So if you go around and try to help everyone else, you're still causing harm in the world because you haven't improved your own practice yet. So you've got to focus on improving your own practice so that way you're not causing harm in the world. You're practicing these three universal teachings of loving all beings, do no harm, and be a good moral person. And when you knock down the harm that you're causing, now you'll gain more and more wisdom and there'll be less and less harm coming back to you and now you're actually truly helping the world because you're not causing harm in the world. Thanks, David. That's all the questions we have for today. But I wanted to send out a quick invitation to anyone who may be listening that if anyone would like to engage with others in our community and others who are on the path, then feel free to come to this meeting 20 to 30 minutes early. We typically have myself, Basim, David, perhaps Manal coming in and it can be nice to just have a nice, friendly, open conversation with others who are in the path. So if anyone would be interested in doing that, then I'd like to send out that invitation. And I'd like to thank Bossum for making that suggestion last week. Yeah, that's very kind of you, James. So I'll just say it to make sure everybody can hear it in case it didn't get projected over a live stream. Is James and Bassam and Manal are inviting all of you guys to come into Zoom early. Our class starts at whatever time it starts in your time zone. But if you come in 20 or 30 minutes early, there's usually a good collection of people here and us just chatting and talking and getting to know each other. Today, it was Bassam and I that were talking pretty early and I was asking him about Egypt and what it's like in Egypt and some of their language and their greetings and things like this. And then James came in and we started talking about some other things. And there's always different topics, whoever is there. And uh, you guys can feel free to come in and get to know each other. And this is part of the benefits of being part of a community is getting to know each other. And this invite that James and Bassam and all are making for you guys is an opportunity for you guys to come in and get to know each other and, and talk informally before class actually starts. Because if we were meeting in real life, that's probably what would happen is people wouldn't just show up at the exact time class is starting and sit down and talk, you guys would actually probably show up 15, 20, 30 minutes early and you would talk and get to know each other and chit chat. So now even though we're online, you guys can still do that. And this Zoom is open for all of you guys to come in and be able to do that. So thank you for offering that, Basson, James and Manal. I think that's really nice of you. So I will just end by just saying thank you for joining. Thank you for deciding that Gautama Buddha's teachings are something that you feel is going to be helpful for your life and deciding that you're going to dedicate some time, effort, and energy to learning and practicing these teachings. Because I know that if you dedicate your time and effort and energy to learning these teachings, things are only going to get better for you. And this program is designed for you to slowly, gradually learn. So if you just come to these classes and that's it, then that's great. It's going to help you. But if you add in that you're reading the book, you're doing meditation daily, that you're spending time with maybe the podcast or the YouTube videos, you're maybe scheduling some time to meet with me, you're maybe posting some questions here or there, whatever way you decide to engage with these teachings, there's no expectation on you of what you should or shouldn't be doing, but you chart your own path and just know that there's nothing but 
support and encouragement and motivation and love here for you that there's somebody who's really interested in seeing you learn and grow and develop and as you choose to step forward and engage with these resources with these classes or with me personally i'm here to help you and encourage you and motivate you along this path but you're the one that just has to do the work that you have to decide that okay i would like to show up for this or i would like to read this or i would like to do meditation and as you make these wiser and wiser choices to train your mind in the direction of enlightenment you'll see the benefits and you'll see the results and the progress as the condition of the mind gradually improves more and more and more so i will just end by saying thank you so much for choosing to learn and practice these teachings because as you do the condition of your life is only going to get better the condition of the environment that you live in and those close to you is only going to get better and the entire world is only going to get better because we're causing less and less harm in the world so thank you i'll see you either next sunday this wednesday for loving kindness meditation or on saturday we have our poly canon in english program that we do each saturday so on one of those days or all of those days i'll see you in class and just encourage you to continue to show politeness kindness and friendliness and respect to all beings wherever you interact with them so thank you so much i'll see you next time sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.